I hope you have a Bible with you, either the printed kind or the digital kind, or you can lean next to somebody who has one and look at theirs. We're going to look this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. On Mother's Day, we had a message called, Everybody Needs a Mother's Heart. Today, we're looking at that we all need a father's heart. That's what we need. And uh, on Mother's Day, we looked in 1 Thessalonians 2, and we're going to do that again today. Um, Mother's Day, we looked at how God wants you to have a mother's heart toward others. He wants you to love and cherish people, to sacrifice for them, to be gentle to them, to show great affection for them, to give your life for them as he did. And we also looked at how God wants you to love and serve God and others more and more. And so today we're looking at we all need a father's heart, a father's heart. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, follow with me, please, beginning in verse number 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would have a, I'm sorry, that you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, earlier in this chapter, in verse 7, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. We all need a father's heart. There's several things that we're, we do from this passage that Paul encourages and challenges us. Number one, uh, we need to do the heavy lifting. We need to do the heavy lifting. Now, this applies to men. You are to do the heavy lifting for the women in your life. If you're approaching a door at the same time, what should the guy do? Step up and open the door. Yeah, if there's stuff to be carried, he should carry the heavy stuff. Is the PowerPoint not working? Yeah, go or worse slides ahead of that. That's yeah. You can just scroll down to the the heavy lifting. So it's not important here, but later there's pictures that I wanted to talk about. So, um, but if, if there's a load to carry to her car, uh, you you can. You do it for her. When we were in Bible college, Kathy had a backpack, and like she had her, was your viola in the backpack? You were holding her viola. She had stuff in her bag. She had a bag hanging on her elbow. And I walked up. She was talking to one of our professors, and I walked up with my briefcase and said, hey, babe, can you carry this for me? And she just held out her pinky and hooked my, and I just walked off. And we were just setting it up, just and the instructor's like, we all upset. And then, then I took stuff from Kathy to help carry the load. We were just just having fun at that professor's expense. When when you're waiting like it's time for dinner, let her go first. Uh, Paul's counsel to husbands was to treat their wives as if they were more fragile. Treat them as if they were the weaker vessel. So you treat them like crystal, not like Tupperware. You don't take a crystal glass, get across the kitchen, and shoot it toward the sink. 
Kids, you shouldn't do that with Tupperware either. I've known kids that did. And Paul said, so in verse number nine, doing the heavy lifting, we labored and toiled. This word labor talks of productive work. And toil is a toil or travail, work that is especially difficult and strenuous. And then he said that we might not be a burden or be chargeable to you. That talks of an oppressive difficulty. And he said we did this night and day. In Jewish tradition, the rabbi would not charge people for his teaching. And so Paul every day worked making tents. That was his craft. He was a tent maker. And then at night he would teach and, and talk to people. And we know in some passages he talked all night long teaching. Uh, but he labored night and day toiling for them. Uh, Paul worked as a, a tent maker and a scripture teacher. And he did all the heavy lifting. And he calls us to do the same thing. Not just guys. Believers should do the heavy lifting for the people around you. You try and make their life a little bit easier. You serve. You minister. You show love before you share truth. Because you're serving and ministering, not just trying, not at all trying to manipulate people. You should be a hardworking employee, a respectful student, especially if you're homeschooled, right? A respectful student. You should be a helpful neighbor. On your block, we live in a cul-de-sac, so it's a small block. And some days I get home from my walk and there's trash on the streets and I start from the corner into our neighborhood and I pick up stuff as I walk home and I throw it out when I get there. Uh, we should just do that to make it a little better place because a believer lives here. Um, the, you should be the family member who encourages everybody to get along. How many of you have family members, of course, not the ones sitting with you, but the ones who aren't here? How many of you have family members that sometimes are a little difficult or have difficulty with other family members? Anybody experience that? You should be the Christian. You should be the one helping pull them together, encouraging. You should do the heavy lifting. You should not expect other people to meet your needs. You should focus on meeting needs of other people. Ironically, when you're diligently trying to meet needs of other people, your needs are met. That's how God designed things to work. So do the heavy lifting. Just like Paul said, that's what he did. And then uh, you need to care for their souls. Look what Paul said at the end of verse 9. We didn't want to be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. He wasn't content to just not be a burden. He also wanted to share the truth of God's word with these people. He wanted to share the gospel with them so they could be saved. Now, it's, it's awkward when you talk to people. Um, when you're out in the neighborhood and you talk to people and invite them to church, talk about the Lord, bring the Lord up in the conversation, sometimes people think you're weird. Well, when you stand before the Lord someday, 
you will not care what those people thought. But you will care whether you shared God's truth or not. Paul cared for their souls. Great humanitarian works on earth can significantly help people have a better life. But if all you do is humanitarian work, as even some churches are doing, if that's all you do, then you're actually helping people be more comfortable on their way to hell. You're not changing their destiny. You're not giving them an opportunity to have a heavenly father who knows their name and loves them. You're avoiding that and you're hurting them. You need to care for others. Heart, mind, body, and soul. And then in verse 10, you need to set a good example. Paul said, You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Set a good example. I like this picture. The dad has jeans that are a little baggy. And the little boy has jeans that are a little baggy. He's dressing just like dad, going for a walk. Uh, setting a good example. So you have to act like a believer. So what does a believer act like? Don't use foul language. I heard something else. Over. Act like Jesus. What else? Humble. Patient. Does that describe you? Humble, patient, kind, loving? It should. It should. So if you're a believer, you don't cheat on the score, even if no one would ever know. You don't cheat. If you're a believer, you don't make excuses. You, well, you have what we call agency. You are responsible for yourself. You don't make excuses. He says, holily and devoutly, that's how he behaved. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly, devoutly or holily, um, moral purity, devoted to God. So that oh, when Paul's writing to Timothy and he talks about uh, fornication that shows up a lot in culture, he said, let it not once be named among you. I think it was in his letter to Timothy. Don't let that happen in the church. As a believer, have holy behavior, justly or righteously. This is ethical behavior. So have moral behavior, have ethical behavior. These are standards, building blocks that Paul's talking about having that, that uh, uh, good example for other people. And then he says, blamelessly or unblameably, never knowingly offending. Never knowingly offending. Being consistent for God. So if Paul had been a contractor, he would never have cut a corner. I love the story of a guy who worked for his father-in-law. And he and his father-in-law, his father-in-law was a de very demanding guy. And the son-in-law kind of chafed a little under his father-in-law. And, and then, then the father-in-law said he wanted to build a special house. And so he chose a special lot. 
and he told the son-in-law, spare no expense. I want this to be the absolute best that you can do. And the son-in-law thought about it, you know, and he's, his father-in-law is kind of old, you know. He wasn't going to be around that much longer. So why build a house that would last 100 years if he's only going to need it for 10? So when they poured the foundation, he cut an inch off the foundation and pocketed the money. When he did the studs, he didn't buy the best lumber. He bought the second best, but charged his father-in-law for the best. And when he did the shingles, he, he didn't do the best shingles. And the father-in-law had wanted it just to be pristine and perfect. And then the father-in-law came and he walked through the house. Of course, it looked fine because you couldn't see where he'd cut the corners. And then the father-in-law said, it's great. Here's the keys. It's your house. That's a true story. And the son-in-law built a house that was not going to last. And he knew it. And he did it on his own. Paul would have never cut the corner. If he were a judge, he would not accept a bribe. You, you know there are judges swayed by money. But not, not the Apostle Paul. He was honorable and he was dependable. He set a good example. And then he gives specific instructions that apply to fatherhood as well to Christianhood, to Christianity. In verse 11, you know how we exhorted, comforted, charged every one of you as a father doth his own children. Isn't it interesting that exhorting comes first? Exhorting, encouraging. The Holy Spirit was called the paraclete, right? That's the paraclete is, and what does the paraclete mean? You remember? The one who comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside. He's sometimes called the comforter, but that word in the Greek is the paraclete. So what Paul's describing here is Paul's saying, listen, I want to be paraclesing, coming alongside of people. Just like the Holy Spirit would come alongside and walk with, Paul said, I want to do that. I want to come alongside people, and I want to walk with them and encourage them and help them. And so he was encouraging. He was sharing insights, helpful insights, and encouraging them in their faith. He was not a cheerleader. Like there are some contemporary preachers. They're just cheerleaders wanting you to feel really good about yourself. Well, let me tell you. If you're knowingly sinning against God, you should not feel good about yourself. You should feel the weight of your sin. And the preachers who encourage you to feel good about yourself are not honoring God and they're not being fair to you. So Paul wouldn't do that. He was not um, a popular feel-good preacher in his day. He was encouraging them to accept and follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and allow him to transform their lives. You remember watching a kid learn to walk? What happens? Well, they take a step, fall in their rear. It's nice they learn to walk while wearing a diaper. Gives added padding, right? Uh, they take a step, fall. And then when they finally get up, they'll get up like this, and they'll like rock and rock and rock, and then grab onto something. And then they'll do, and then, then they start taking a step or two. And what do you do? You, you sit there in front of them 
And if they're trying to walk to you and they take two steps and sit down, do you say, get up? What are you doing? Get up and walk. No, what do you say? Good job. Yay. Way to go. If you have kids like my siblings and I were, when I had a younger sister who was way younger, and you know, when they're learning to walk, learning to go potty, uh, and then you clap for them and cheer for them. And so one day when my mom came out of the bathroom, us teenage kids go, good job, mom. Good job, mom. <laughs> she felt so encouraged. But see, we, we understand. You naturally try and encourage first. Jim Ricosi and I were talking about it. And Jim works with cubbies, which is beyond me. I, I have a really hard time. I can handle those kids one-on-one -on -one or small group, but, but having a big group like that, and he does games with them and everything. And we were talking about it and how easy it is to be patient with those little kids because you don't, they don't know anything. You know, and he's trying to explain the rules. And he wants them to run this way. And what happens? One of the kids runs this way. And usually, boom, the kids run into each other. And sometimes we need to remember everybody's a cubby. Some are just taller than others. We all need grace. We all need to be encouraged. And we need to be encouragers. Helping and encouraging other people. That's how Paul was treating these new believers in Thessalonica. If you look in chapter 1, he's talking about these are new believers and he ministered to them and encouraged them. And he really praises them in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul's saying, listen, you guys, you turned from idols to God. And he's encouraging them in what they did. And, and he's cheering them on and helping them make the next step, just like we would do with kids. Encouraging. So somebody in this section Tell me someone who has really encouraged you in your life. Jeff, that was you? Your wife. Okay. How has she encouraged? Across the board, right? <laughs> All right. Good. Encouraging. So Sherry gets a gold star. Tim got the candy bar. Sherry gets a gold star. Okay? What's the second thing? He, he said encouraging, and then what? Verse number 11. We exhorted and imploring. As I have comforted. Comforted. Uh, th this, again, is coming alongside, helping them. True faith is not legalism. Here's your checklist. Boom, 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 boom. True faith is not mysticism. Ooh, the Holy Spirit is at work. True faith is not activism. We must militantly protest. No, true faith is a relationship. 
with God and with others. Because in Christ, everyone in this room has trusted Christ as Savior. You're now my brother and my sister in Christ. We are connected. We are family in Christ. So true faith uh, brings us into a genuine relationship with God and with each other. There's a partnership to our faith. And Paul was encouraging and comforting those who were going through difficult circumstances. When you comfort someone, you help to build a bridge from their heart to the heart of the Lord. Perhaps leaving an indelible mark that may last for all eternity. That you comfort them. So in this section, tell me someone who has comforted you in a difficult time. Lorinda? Okay. If you couldn't hear everything she said, her sister has really comforted her. She's come down and talked with Clorinda and met with her and prayed with her and told her God was in control and comforting. This is what we're supposed to be doing, building in, comforting and caring for one another. On this picture, you see this little kid. Their little kid looks slightly traumatized. They probably saw you before you fixed your hair in the morning. And, and they're scared, but they're being comforted probably by a parent. Paul said, this is what we did. We encouraged and comforted and instructed or charged, instructed. Verse 11, you know, we encouraged and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his own children. Instruction is important, but Paul put it third. So you guys over here, how has a parent instructed you? Anything you've learned, Johnny? How to run a business and... Oh, and a tree trimming company. That's good. Learning how to do that. Right. We, we were trimming trees a little bit, the low end trimming trees and digging out bushes. Well, actually, I was trimming. Charlie was digging. <laughs> and uh, out, out front, hopefully you'll see it afterwards. But learning things from your parents. Maybe your parents taught you how to balance a checkbook. My parents taught me to be generous toward God. They uh, taught me to trust and follow the Lord. But instruction is important. But listen, you have to earn the right to instruct. Culturally, as we're ministering to people, we encourage and we comfort and then we instruct. We show love, and then we share truth. And you earn the right to instruct and share truth. Um, the impact of your voice is measured by your compassion and concern. It's not how loud you yell at them, right, Cloyce? She was sharing about her dad earlier. Not how loud you yell at them, how much you care about them that makes the difference in the heart. Compassion without doctrine is shallow, harmful and misleading, but doctrine without compassion is ugly and harsh and discouraging. Now, <coughs> excuse me. 
in this picture, I have several things. In the middle, there's like a guy doing a lecture. And that's, we, we used to joke with my dad. He had these lectures he would give at certain times. He would say the same thing. And so we had numbers for them. You know, this is lecture number 73. You know, and if, if one of us got in trouble, one of the other kids would, oh man, I bet you got lecture number 62, didn't you? Oh yeah, 62 and 78. Ooh. Because you know, he had these same spiels he would go through, which was kind of funny. One of them was about mom and how, you know, she carried you for nine months, went through pain and agony to bring you into this world, and this is how you treat her? And the funny thing is, he said that to my younger brother, who's adopted. <laughs> mom didn't do that for him, uh, but dad had the spiel going down anyway. So that, that center of the picture, he's lecturing. Now, the top right of the picture, what's it look like the dad's doing? Coloring? I think it's a, well, maybe it's a colored pencil. I wouldn't know. Um, but she, she's writing, he's writing, he's helping her. That he may be teaching her how to spell her name or how to write a check and make it payable to dad. Um, <laughs> we don't know what he's teaching her, but there's something here. All right, the bottom right. What's he doing? Yeah, they're just talking. Looks like dad and the kid just sitting there talking. Some of the best times I have had with my dad, just talking. Some of the best things I've learned from my dad were just from conversations. And then my favorite, the, on the left, dad showing the girl how to use a sparkler. It's very important for dads to teach their kids how to use Fire. Very important. So uh, instruction. You are comforting, are encouraging and comforting, and then instructing. Now, when I was a dad with younger kids, I had that backward. I instructed, and I encouraged, and I eventually comforted. But I had the instruction first. Now, thankfully, by God's grace, I still have a good relationship with my kids. But I messed up some when they were younger. I remember once I bellered at something Nathan did when he was a very little kid. Um, and Jessica, Nathan went running off crying. And Jessica was comforting him, holding him. And Kathy heard Jessica say, it's all right, Nathan. That's just your big loud dad. You're going to get used to it, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and so with my grandkids, I've intentionally tried to do it in the biblical pattern, encouraging, comforting, instructing. I wish I'd done that all of my kids' life. I didn't until they were a little bit older. That's why Benjamin turned out so well. I, I grew <laughs> Turned out well because he chose to follow the Lord. Compassion without doctrine is shallow and harmful. Doctrine without compassion is ugly and restrictive. Then the last thing is coaching. Coaching. In verse 12, I'm, Paul said that you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Coaching. Encouraging. 
uh, like Paul did with them in chapter 1, saying, uh, you turn from idols to serve God, and encouraging and comforting, coaching them to walk worthy of God, to have a walk that might be worthy of God. See, we do wrong if all we do is pray for people. Sometimes you need to vocalize and encourage them in their walk with God. I had a fun moment with Ben, um, ben Mollett at camp years ago. I was leading the games, and Ben had a little more trouble following instructions back then. And there was something that he was told not to do that he did. And so I talked to Ben about it afterward. And I said, we were getting ready for game time. And I said, Ben, I told you not to do that, didn't I? Yes, sir. And you did it anyway? Yes. I said, so Ben, what do you think the consequences should be? What would be a fair consequence? And he knew games were coming up. He said, it'd probably be fair that I not be able to play the games. Now, Ben went to camp for the games. It was okay that we taught the Bible, but he was there for the games, right, Ben, at that age? Yeah. yeah. And so I guess that it would be fair that I wouldn't be able to play. And I said, you know, Ben, I think you're exactly right. That would be very fair. But today I'm going to show grace. I'm going to let you play, not because you deserve it, but because of grace, like God showed us his grace. All right, Ben, since that day, has there ever been a time that you can think of where I've had to fuss at you because you didn't obey something? I don't remember any. Mom and dad maybe have had a few. They're around him more than I am. He was with me all through Trek. He's with me on youth events and youth activities. I never. Why? He learned. And sometimes we learn more not by forcing consequences of pain and suffering, but by coaching and encouraging and comforting and giving instruction, but keeping it in that order. Sorry to pick on you, Ben, but your dad will be happy I did. You are chosen, Paul said. Uh, you, are, you are called by God. God has high expectations for your life. Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace. Praise God that you are saved by grace. But you're more than that. You are called to be a saint. God has set up this high and holy standard. Don't just say, well, you know, I struggle. Well, stop struggling. Start stepping up and growing. Yeah, we're going to struggle in some areas all of our life, but we can grow and we can mature. And we can go from being uh, Mr. Grumpy Pants uh, to somebody who's happier and more joyful because they're more connected with Christ and care more about other people. You can change your heart. You are in charge of your own internal thermostat. What does a thermostat do? If you turn the thermostat down, what does that do? Nothing if it's not hooked up. The thermostat doesn't make things happen. The thermostat directs the air unit 
to make something happen. And you're in charge of the thermostat of your heart. You can tune it toward the Lord. You can uh, turn away from the Lord. You can turn your heart so you're growing and maturing in Christ and ministering to other people, or you can turn your heart so you're just kind of self-centered. You go to church and you leave thinking, nobody met my needs. Or you can come to church and try and meet the needs of other people. The best dads coach and encourage their kids. The best Christians coach and encourage others. God has high expectations. And the best believers do the same coaching to every person they come in contact with every day. Just bring the Lord into the conversation. Encourage people to trust and follow the Lord. And, you know, very seldom in those quick conversations that I, very seldom do I ever get to share the plan of salvation or the gospel. But sometimes those conversations open a door, a window. And when I was a business manager, people would come when they had a problem. They would come and talk to me about their problem. And I could share from scripture. And I had the opportunity to lead several of my coworkers to the Lord because they saw what I was doing on a regular basis. I, I know some dads who turn their kids away from Christ. We don't want to do that, whether you're a dad or not. As a believer, you want to encourage and comfort and then give instruction. You want to be the one who's doing the heavy lifting, making life a little easier for the people around you because you're there, because you care. We all need a father's heart. We need the heart of the father flowing through us to minister to others. Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace. Thank you that you forgive our sin and save our soul, but thank you that you push us to so much more. You give us an opportunity to love you, to serve you, to have an impact in other people's lives simply because of what you have done in us. May we be faithful. May you be honored and glorified. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being our dad. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song this morning. Um, the people of God. We're called to be part of his family. We're, we're called uh, unto him. We're called to walk and serve him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to save you. You've never asked him to forgive your sins and had a specific time in your life when you received Jesus Christ. If that's you, please don't leave here today without trusting Christ. You maybe go to church all the time with your parents, but you need to trust Christ. It's between you and God, and you need to believe on him. If you are a believer, then let's go out of this place today saying, I want to live for God. I want to be the one who's encouraging and comforting and then giving a little instruction. But I want my heart to line up with God's heart, and I want to share these things first. And if you've read the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, that wasn't natural for him. When he first became a believer, and even when he was first serving God in ministry, he was harsh and unforgiving toward John Mark. 
but he learned and he changed. May you and I be learning and changing for God's glory. Let's stand as we sing.